It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Broering. Each week, we look at uh, sports topics locally, nationally. We have a gambling segment in which Rick is making up ground very quickly on me, which is good. It's not good for me, but it's good for Rick. And maybe if you decided not to fade Rick and stuck with him, you're paying off at this point of the program. And, of course, the segment where you can ask me a question, ask Skinny anything. There is no question that this will be (laughs) one of the better podcasts we've done. Rick, how are you? No question about it. Absolutely no question. question. Yeah. Yeah. I'm good. I, I say I do feel a little bit bad about the whole pick'em segment because I was a strong fade yeah, all hey, year, and all of a sudden the last two weeks I just got absolutely hot. So if you were making money off me all year, I just screwed you back to back weeks. I apologize for that, but it makes the last week of our pick'em here pretty interesting. For yes, it does. For yes, football. it does. For college football, at least that's right. The skinny, you ready to jump into it? Let's do it. All right, Xavier added another player to its active roster on Wednesday night. The NCAA ruled that all transfers are immediately eligible to play this year, which means Xavier's Ben Stanley, who initially had his waiver denied by the NCAA after transferring from Hampton, is available starting this Sunday in the Musketeers game against Marquette. Stanley averaged 22 points and 7.2 rebounds in 35 minutes per game last year. My question is, what do you think adding Ben Stanley does for Xavier's roster? You know, this is what I'm going to say. I don't know. Because he's kind of that weird size, right? He's 6'6", 230. Um, you know, that that's that seems like a physical guy at that level of Hampton that can dominate. But what can he do when he gets against better competition? Now, am I? it's not like you're adding some scrub walk-on, mind you. I mean, the guy was ninth in the country in scoring, and that still speaks to something. So I don't know. And I, and I don't want to say that, that at some point too much is too much, but it's kind of gotten there a little bit, is it not? I mean, it does become a numbers game at some point, regardless of how talented guys are. Um, And let's be frank. I mean, I think Ben Stanley can help at this level, but I don't think he's going to come in and be Xavier's best player or anything like that or or better than, you know, the top two or three guys that they currently have. So you're right. You're getting in a situation with once your, your lineup starts getting legitimately 11, 12 deep. I mean, pretty much everyone on this team currently they expect to help them in some way, whether it's right now or in the, the near future. So, I, I mean, okay, you can put C.J. Wiltshire a little farther back down the depth chart, take away the seven minutes he got against Oklahoma, uh, most of them coming at the four, and, and Ben Stanley's probably going to play the four. So it's like there's some time, but, you know, Jason Carter, he's, he's averaging about 28 minutes a game at the four, so I think maybe you can knock him down closer to 20. And maybe you're getting Ben Stanley about 15 minutes a game that way. Between. And, I, and I will say, if, if you want to call the weakest link in the lineup, Jason Carter, that's probably a good thing that you're going to take away some minutes and give it to somebody else who's probably as capable, but maybe not more capable. Right. And I think fans would feel that way for the most part. But I also think fans have a tendency to overlook things like rebounding and defense, which is Jason Carter's strength. You know, it's you need a role guy sometimes that sure. doesn't need the ball all, all game to still do all the other things. And, and that's where I wonder where Ben Stanley. Yeah, well, Ben Stanley was um, I, I, I didn't see a single game of Hamptons last year. I just know of his stat line and, and, and that he's pretty highly regarded um, that. He was pretty ball dominant, I would guess, right? That the ball went through so, him a ton at Hampton. I get that. I mean, he obviously produced for them. So then does he accept that the ball is not going through you and you're maybe four or five possessions where you really aren't involved other than a a, a touch in a spot where you're not going to be able to score the ball? Um, can he get used to that? It, it, that's an interesting question. It, obviously, he was a huge focal point of their offense. He used a ton of possessions. But this is one spot where I do say, 
the the fit is really good here because despite being a you know 22 points per game type score and the focal point of an offense, his most used play type at Hampton last season was pick and roll, meaning he was setting a screen for somebody else, rolling to the rim, and then finding a way to score after he got the ball, whether it was in the short roll or a pick and pop and facing up and and driving or shooting, or whether it was diving all the way to the rim on the roll, catching around the basket and using his athleticism to finish. So and that's what I wonder, Rick, did does he bully did he bully his way there with his body and yeah. that he can't bully his way there in the big east? And I, again, I, I'm interested to see it because I just don't know. To, to a certain extent, yeah, absolutely, and that's a, that's a question. Athleticism and strength is a huge part of his game. Now, that being said, he is a freak athlete. I mean, he's elite even at the Big East level for his athleticism, but there's still a difference between finishing around 6'10", 6'11", athletes in the Big East versus a 6'7", flat-footed guy in, yeah, in the I Big South. That, yeah, in the Big South, thank you. I think there are questions for sure about how well everything translates, but I do think his game fits in well in terms of like, he doesn't need the ball constantly coming off ball screens or anything like that. You know, he's a forward who likes to pick and roll and, uh, and, and play really hard. So that will work, but I am the first point you brought up about the minutes thing. I, I don't know exactly how Travis Steele and his staff are going to make this work and keep everyone happy. Well, you're not, I mean, you're going to lose a kid probably somewhere along the way, right after the year's over. It's just, it's just the nature of the beast, but I will say this for, for at least the present the thing that he has now, Travis Steele, is he's got answers when something's not working. Um, you know, you've got Adam Kunkel that you can bring in and, and, and play the point and, and not have to force Paul Scruggs there and leave him be where he's at. You don't need um, Kiki Tandy and Paul Scruggs always making shots. You got some other guys that can do it. You got a guy who's extraordinarily consistent, Zach Freeman, that I don't worry about whatsoever. You got the, the Griffin kid that can come in and give you some rebounding off the bench. You got Stanley and maybe it's a circumstance where things aren't working offensively other than him. And he's a, he's a better answer offensively than, than Jason Carter is. So you, you've got, you got a lot more ways to answer opponents than you certainly had when the season started a and his last season ended B. No, I think that's the, the biggest thing right there is, is, he can maybe give you a platoon and just give you another like fitting guys into roles. We talk about that a lot. And I think that's exactly what these added guys have given Travis Steele and his staff. You can fit guys into more defined roles. And in this case, maybe it's a platoon thing where Ben Stanley's more your offensive spark off the bench and Carter's your defensive guy and, and your rebounder. I am the final point on this. I'll say is I I'm interested to see how well Stanley rebounds because he played a lot of minutes, and he plays hard. He, he got 7.2 rebounds a game at Hampton. Not a great rebounding rate overall, though, if you look like at his Ken Palm right, numbers right. For, for a guy his size and his athleticism. Is that a situation where he was so much a focal point of the offense that all of a sudden you take some of that off of his load and, and he's like a third or fourth option, and now all of a sudden he really crashes the glass harder and he improves that at Xavier's level? Or is it a situation where he's not – a great rebounder because a lot of times those numbers translate from level to level. Your rebounding is who you are. Uh, I I'm curious to see that because Xavier cannot take a dip in their rebounding at the forward position. No, that's right. They, yeah. They're struggling with that enough already. Yeah. Uh, last point on this is, is I'm a big believer in using your bench. I mean, I, I know there are times you have to play guys 34, 35 minutes. I just don't think you get all of, all of what you can out of them. I think anytime you can, you can have nobody on your roster average more than 30 minutes a game. I, I honestly think that's a good thing because then you you literally tell them it's not going to matter. You don't need to pace yourself. You don't need to take a trip off. Just play as hard as you can. I'll take you out. And when you're ready to go back in, I'll put you back in because that person's going to need to come out. And I'm not talking about doing it in, in waves of five, although I kind of like that sometimes myself. I do it myself, um, just a five for five. Um, 
but I, I do like the fact that, listen, I mean, if I know that I'm only going to go seven deep in a game and the players know that, and you know, you're as a player, you're playing 36, 37 minutes. And I know there's media timeouts and all that. You're still going to pace yourself. If you know that you're going to have to give yourself a 37 minute night, you're going to take a trip off here or a trip off there. And it's also going to wear you down. Um, you know, I'm watching Notre Dame. We're going to get to Kentucky in a second. I'm watching Notre Dame. They're playing seven guys against Kentucky. I don't think it's a coincidence. Some of it was Kentucky's defense, which we'll get to. I think it's a coincidence that Notre Dame has blown leads against Kentucky and Ohio State and wore down in second halves because they're only playing seven guys. It's just, it's the nature of the, uh, it's just human nature. You wear down. And so I think that's, that's a good thing, but it is a matter of, you got to kind of tweak, you know, who's, who's playing what, when they're playing, who's on the floor at the, at the key times of the game, how you're going to do it. It's still a lot of questions to answer. Well, that, that's a great point, especially with uh, Zach Fremantle too, who you, you are playing a ton of minutes, you know, maybe this eliminates those games where he plays 34, right. 35 minutes and you can keep him under 30 every game and keep him a little more fresh. And let's not forget, I mean, Zach Fremantle is still a guy who took himself out of the Toledo game for uh, stupid technicals and foul. So, I mean, there, there is value in having some some depth there for sure. Uh, let's move on. Cincinnati fell to 2-3 and three on the season after losing to South Florida 74-71 at Fifth Third Arena Wednesday night. It marked the first time USF had ever won in Cincinnati. And for Brian Gregory... Outside of uh, someone on my Xavier message board looked this up outside of one lone A10 tournament game at US Bank Arena when it was randomly hosted there. I remember that thousands. Uh, he's never won in Cincinnati, if you remember, because of his struggles against <laughs> yep. Xavier at Dayton. So big win for Brian Gregory. Next yeah, up, gets it done. Yeah. Next up, the Bearcats have a Saturday trip to Athens to take on the Georgia Bulldogs in a non conference matchup before getting back to AAC play against UCF on Tuesday. Skinny, how much of your expectations changed for this UC team based on their first five games? Yeah, they're starting to change more and more. Um, and, and I will remind people that Furman pushed Alabama, I think it was last night or the night before. My nights get confused. I think Alabama only beat Furman by six. So when you yeah, start to look at Furman that, choked that game away, too. They yeah, right. So, so yeah, I, and I know that's where you're going to look back and go, well, it went over Furman, wasn't all that great. And I, yeah, it's still a pretty good win. It's still a win. And they're, they're decent enough. But, um, boy, last night just made me wonder. It just doesn't seem like questions are getting answered. Um, you, you can't play the two, the two big stiffs together at the same time. And if you do, you got to play zone. Um, you don't have consistent offensive answers. You didn't get stops when you needed to get stops. Um, I just don't, you know, and I'm not looking to make excuse here. Um, it's, it's probably another recruiting class away for John Brandon to get, get some answers. Um, because, um, Chris vote is just a guy, man. He, I, I, I keep wanting him to take that next step to be a 15 and nine guy. And it just, it's not going to happen. I mean, honestly, their best player at times last night was the kid from the freshman from Washington. Um, drawing a blank on his name, Tari Eason. Uh, yeah, Tari Eason. Thank you. I mean, he was their best player at times. Jeremiah Davenport's been their best player at times. That that can't be. That just that's, can't yeah, be. that's a problem. Yeah. Well, no, I, I totally agree with you on that. Um, I, I think the Tari Eason is definitely a guy that is. It, it, they found something there. Yeah. You know? oh, I mean, no, that, no, no doubt. That, for yeah. a freshman, that's a guy that looks like a a prospect that's going to pay dividends down the line. John Brandon just doesn't have enough of that in the program right now. And I think, you know, for this year, it kind of is what it is. I mean, how much have my expectations changed? I thought they were a bubble team to come into the year. I think some other UC fans thought they were a little bit better than that. So my expectations would say I probably had them bubble leaning inward before the season. Now I'm probably bubble leaning out right now after five games. Yeah, that's probably Uh, where I'm at. I'm not even sure I got them on bubble anymore. I just don't know if they're... It's really going to be hard this year, too, because of you might not have enough games, right? Right. You start off 2-3 non-conference, that's going to be tough to come back from. And and you can't lose to the South Florida's at home. I don't care if they're better. You just can't lose to those teams at home. 
Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, I guess my bigger concern is, you know, again, this year it being what it is and fans don't want to hear that, but it was a similar situation. Travis Steele walked into you. You, you didn't have uh, Steele had more talent, certainly because you had uh, Quentin Goodens, Paul Scruggs, Najee Marshall's Marshall, four star right. legit guys. And, and John Brandon certainly doesn't have a Najee Marshall right now. He had uh, Jaron Cumberland last year um, and that just didn't work out for them. He has he doesn't have a guy like that this year. Keith Williams is pretty good, but he's not a Najee Marshall, Jaron Cumberland type that can really take over games consistently and, and go win you one by himself, really. We kind of saw that last night. He did it for a short stretch, but he really couldn't quite finish it off, even against a, a mediocre to bad South Florida team. So I guess my my bigger concern for John Brandon is how how quickly can he turn this around in the next year or two? with some more talent because like how, how many guys are actually going to pan out? Keith Williams probably isn't coming back, even though he could use another extra year of eligibility if he wanted, but I mean, he took till the last second to decide if he was coming back this year. Can't imagine he'll be back. Ivanowskis and vote. I don't see those guys coming back. I don't know how much you, you want those guys uh, coming back because it's clear. It's going to be tough to win, especially if you're trying to play both of them. So, I mean, you know, Tari East in your front court isn't as a nice future piece. Then what do you got? You've got, Jeremiah Davenport, Mike Saunders, Micah Adam Woods, Zach Harvey, Gabe Madsen. How many of those guys are we convinced can be guys going forward for this UT team? Be starter level players. The, I think the jury's still out. And to me, that's what the rest of the season is about for UC fans and this coaching staff is how many of these guys are going to help you in the future and how much do you ever have to overhaul this roster in the next offseason? Yeah, and, and you can do it. I mean, you can do it, but you have to make that evaluation for sure. And I mean, I, I know fans don't want to bring in a bunch of transfers, but I think that that question is, you know, how many guys do you have will ultimately dictate how much do you need to help right away versus how much can you wait for a freshman like Gabe Madsen? You know, as people are down on Gabe Madsen because he's not getting minutes, he's a freshman five games into his career after a weird pandemic offseason. You know, I mean, he could still be a player. We just don't know yet. I think what's what's happened though for a lot of a lot of fan bases is you see you see a lot of freshmen come in and make impacts in higher level programs and you expect every freshman to do that. And that just doesn't happen. It just doesn't. It's so silly though, for like I mean, you know, Xavier fans have done the same thing, obviously, on my message board and and you're seeing it with UC fans now. We pick on them because they're local and that's who we're talking about. But you're right, it's all across the country. We see it all the time where guys develop sophomore year, junior year. Who knows? And they become UC has more great examples of, of that than any program in recent memory. Right. You think about the Trey right. Scotts, for instance. Right. I mean, like they know it takes guys time to develop and yet they're freaking out because a guy like Gabe Madsen isn't isn't getting on the court much. And it's like, yes, he was brought in to, to give you some offensive skill. And right now you're struggling on the offensive end. So there's you question why he wouldn't be able to find minutes, but he's a freshman. He's a freshman. Well, and, I, and I'm going to lean to this and, and, um, you know, as a coach, you, you play guys you can trust and maybe Gabe Matson just is, he doesn't, he, he, you can't trust him on the defensive end. Perhaps I'm just surmising here. Oh, and I think that's exactly what it is. Right. Yeah. And if you can't, then okay. I, I can't I, in, in tight games, I can't fit you in at the moment. I need to get guys that can get me some stops and I hope I have enough offensive firepower on the other end. And over time through more repetition, more practice, he'll learn, um, hopefully. And I, that, that's where, that's where that whole development comes into play. And I, I just, like I said, I just think that we see the Zion Williamson's, we see what Kentucky does. We see, you know, guys sprinkled across some of the upper echelon teams in the country. And we expect every freshman to do that. And some of them can, 
but not all of them. And honestly, very few of them can, can honestly make a huge impact. There, there's not a lot of Cade Cunningham's walking around. No. And the fans want to say, well, okay, this is already a lost year. We've lost three games now. Why aren't you figuring out what you got in Gabe Manson? That's not how coaches view this thing. And that's not how they're ever going to view this no. thing. This is, they're, they're not being irrational about it. John Brannon struggled big time to start last season. And then he rebounded. His team found a rhythm and they want, reeled off a bunch of wins. And, 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 and back into a, a, a regular season title in the AAC. Yeah, and, that, and that's the unfortunate part for John, too, is is that was going to be probably an NCAA tournament team, and you got that cachet to fall back on. But now with not being able to play the tournament and what you're seeing now, your cachet quickly goes out the window with your fan base. It just it's, it, it is what it is. It's just it's, it's unfortunate that it comes to that. Um, so, yeah, I, I think the one thing and I, I this is going to be something you have to figure out really quickly because we're, you know, December's quickly melting away. And before you look up, we're going to be in mid-January. It, it'll feel like team's offensive identity at the moment or its identity in general at the moment. I well, don't think it has one, right? I'm not, I'm not a big like identity guy for basketball. I think that's oh, more I am. like a football oh, thing. To no, me. I'm a huge identity guy, man. But what, I, what, what do you do? Do you, def- I mean, right. Whether you like Mick Cronin or not. And I know you didn't, you knew what his team's identity was. He knew what his team's identity was and he recruited to it and he coached to it. Sure. And I guess, I guess that's more like, if you're just saying, what do we do? Well, I, and that's our identity. I get, I get your point. And, you're right Cincinnati right now it's like John Brandon said it great after the game against South Florida it's we we plug one leak in the boat right and another one springs up you know he, he can't push the right button to make all his problems go away every time he makes one tweak it reveals a new problem right now and I think what that means is you just don't have good enough talent and that, well, that yeah I blame McCronin for that more so than I do John Brandon and, and really as much as it is McCronin it's also just the nature of changing head coaches in college basketball. Now, even if McCronin recruited well, chances are one of those two got one or two of his best players would have left because he's leaving. Right. So it's like, you don't usually keep those recruits now when, when you change coaches. And two, if you would have had like a good incoming class that year of McCronin recruits, none of them would have stuck with you. Uh, it's the same thing. Travis Steele duck, stuck with, or uh, dealt with that Xavier, you know, you, you take the job and all of a sudden you end up with Keontae Kennedy as your, as your top recruit in the class, you know, that's that's how it works now when you when you change jobs um the question is what what can john brandon and his staff do going forward in the the recruiting ranks zach harvey to this point was a little bit of a disappointment from from the recruiting class last year he was supposed to be a guy that that gave them some help i think the jury is still out on mike adams woods he's a guy that can give you minutes but i don't know that he's a starter level player yet uh, you know going forward in the aac um and Jeremiah Davenport has been a pleasant surprise to an extent, but like you mentioned, I don't think it's a good thing if Jeremiah Davenport is one of their three best players on this team. No, I, I think it's going to be great that he will eventually, I think, be a, a starter and a double-figure scorer and a great defensive player and all of those things, um, which is perfect. But right now, at times, he's the best player on the floor for them. And that's not good. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it's especially if you're you're relying on him to be your best offensive player. Uh, my, my shock for him is why, why doesn't he rebound at all? Yeah, and he's he, and he's I mean he is he's super athletic. He, he's got that crazy wingspan. And um, the, the, his his he's whole got a thing great was mo- like a, he's a got a great motor. Yeah, yeah, he's got a great motor. Yeah, I'm with you. I I don't get that either. I mean, he does not rebound at all for them. He has uh, the lowest rebounding rate out of anybody getting regular minutes outside of Micah Adams Woods. So uh, that's that's one thing I've been surprised with with Davenport's play, despite you know him giving them some decent minutes at times. <laughs> Maybe he was used to Jackson Hayes gobbling every rebound up at Moeller. Well, that might be a possibility. He, Jackson Hayes was grabbing them before anybody else 
was able to have a chance, you know, Correct. before it came down to the normal stratosphere. That's exactly right. All right. Speaking of struggling teams, Kentucky dropped another one over the weekend in Notre Dame, 64-63. The Wildcats are now 1-4, their worst start since 1984-85 season after dropping four straight to Richmond, Kansas, Georgia Tech, and now Notre Dame. Which team do you trust to turn around faster, Skinny, Cincinnati or Kentucky? I'm going to go Cincinnati just because of competition level. Um, you know, Kentucky's got, and it really kind of stinks for them too, because I think they had a, a, a more than a puncher's chance to beat UCLA on Saturday. That got flipped up to where they're now playing North Carolina in the same event instead. Um, that's a much tougher task, in my opinion. You follow that up with another week off, and that's the thing. There hasn't been any consistent play. It's a, it's a week to week to week. Then you got to play at Louisville, and then you hop right into SEC play, and your only non-league game after that is a game against Texas. I mean, the schedule is brutal, so it gives you no breathing room, no get right. You know, they were supposed to play Detroit on Tuesday. It got postponed for a second time. That might have been a, a chance to get right. Look, I, I do. I will say I, I thought their fight in the second half against Notre Dame was admirable. I thought their energy level picked up. Uh, putting Terrence Clark at point guard was probably a good decision to make, and it gets mints off the ball a little bit, and I thought they – they understood to start playing through Olivier Saar much, much more, and, and he came through other than the, the shot at the end. And it was a good look. He just missed it. That would have won it, and everybody would have felt good in Kentucky land if he had made that shot. But, um, Rick, I, you know, I'm just looking. The last four games, they've scored 63 against Notre Dame, 62 Georgia Tech, 62 Kansas, 64 Richmond. Are you noting a theme there? This team can't score. It just doesn't shoot well enough to score. It, does, it doesn't have enough, enough quality parts to score, to, 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 to be honest. It's just not a, it's just not a very good team. Well, I agree with you that throwing the ball into SAR in the second half of that Notre Dame game became their identity, so to speak, to, right. to, to borrow a term. And, they had, yeah, and, and it got them back in it. Yeah, and I think that was the right look for them. The issue with that is when you have a team of non-shooters that no one's going to respect, the, the solution to that becomes easy. You can take yeah. SAR away just by crowding him you right. know, and not letting the ball be either big thrown into the post or even when he does touch it, make all those touches really, really difficult scoring opportunities. And uh, I, I think that's what you're going to continue to see if UK can't make shots from the outside. I do think the young guys are starting to settle in a little bit more and realize, okay, we can't just keep doing this freestyle and one-on-one type deal. We've got to, we've got to get it to the big fella enough and more consistently and, and move the ball a little bit better. So I did see a better mindset on the offensive end, I think in the second half of that Notre Dame game, but yeah, they, they're in trouble in terms of their skill level on the offensive end. And again, we, we wait for Keon Brooks to come back to see how much of a difference that could make. I don't know that'll be enough, but I do think it'll definitely help to answer the original question. I'm with you. I trust Cincinnati to do it faster because they have more softing, more soft landing spots on the schedule. They have multiple three, four game stretches where every game's winnable, very winnable where they could get right in, in a hurry on the flip side. UK doesn't have a single team left on their schedule outside the top 100 on Kempom, except for Vanderbilt. Yeah, so, that's, there's no like two that, games that, in a row where you're like, a oh tall yeah, test. they're good. And and you know you lose the next two games and lose to Texas. That's one in seven non-league. And and yeah, maybe you can go win you know eight, nine, ten games inside the league. That might not even get you over 500. Do you think they win one of these next two games here? What's what's your read on the team? Do you think I, I don't. That and trouble? again, I, I I thought the comeback was admirable. I thought the energy level was was significantly better on defense in the second half. But I go back to what I talked about before about Notre Dame. Mike Bray's playing seven guys, and basically he's playing four of his guys thirty five minutes or more. 
Rick, that just you, you just get worn down. You could see the first half, they're, they're, they're a huge jump shooting team. They were raining in threes left and right. Second half, those threes start to not go in, and they didn't, and they only scored 16 points. I do want to give Kentucky some credit. I, I, I think it's fair, too, because I thought, like I said, I thought they got up in people, guarded them better. They were much more attentive to guys on the catch. But I also think some of that was Notre Dame just wore down. And if you've seen some Notre Dame games this year, they've tended to wear down for a reason. Um, no, I just I, – I, I, I don't I, – I, if, it, if it had been UCLA on Saturday, I would have felt much better. Um, but with it being North Carolina, that's a tough switch for Kentucky because um, Carolina is not great at guard play, but they, they got a bunch of big guys. And I just, I, I just don't know how Kentucky scores in, in this game. I'm going to do something I, I kind of criticize fans for doing a lot where, you know, it's like you get a couple games in the season and fans are like, oh, why don't you play a zone defense? Why don't you do that? Why don't you just change your entire philosophy on the game of basketball because you're five games in and what you did didn't work, right? Like that's how college coaches actually view this thing. College coaches are like, we want answers. We want our guys to understand a system. We want them to get better at it over the course of the season. So, you know, we're not just switching it up and never getting good at anything. But with the way Cal does this thing and the fact that he has a new team essentially every year with new parts and new best players, and he is very willing to change what he does from one season to another. I mean, we've seen that he runs completely different offenses from year to year, and he's certainly been willing to, to tweak his defense. Do you wonder if maybe they look at that Notre Dame game and say, maybe this is who we are. Maybe we just go out, play hard as hell, full court for 40 minutes and try to wear teams down in the second half with our, our, our hustle and athleticism and, and, and size on the glass. And cause that's where they were kind of getting Notre Dame is they were out hustling them to loose balls and winning offensive rebounds. And uh, like you said, giving them trouble with their shooting because they looked a little worn down and not everyone's going to be a, have such a short bench like Notre Dame did, but is that maybe Kentucky's thing where just their length and overall athleticism can wear you down a little bit? Yeah, um, I think we're going to find out Saturday because, like I said, Carolina's guard play isn't great, so you can probably pressure them a, a significant amount. So we're going to find that out. I think the other thing too is, and, and I'm a big believer in this. I mean, I you know I coach freshman basketball; they don't exactly shoot it great all the time, right, Rick? So I I love creating offense with defense, and and that's sometimes what you got to do. I mean, it's if you can get a, a handful of deflections that turn into to easy run out layups, you don't have to run any offense. You don't have to worry about shooting an 18 foot jump shot with the shot clock winding down. You don't have to worry about jacking up a kick out three when you're not a good three point shooter. You create some turnovers, some live ball turnovers, go convert those into 14, 16 points in, in games. That suddenly, you know, you, you're putting less pressure on your offense as well. So uh, maybe they they do do. I, and I think we're going to see for sure on, on Saturday. Is that now going to be what they try to do? Because it, it, it was what worked in the second half against Notre Dame. I did find it funny. I saw online uh, on Wednesday night after the it was announced that the games had been switched around and they got switched because of COVID, COVID protocols. Yes, the yes. different conferences had more closely aligned it's, protocols. It's so funny because it's so funny because they're playing in the same place. They just switched all the matchups around, or not all. The, I mean, there's only two matchups, but they switched the matchups around. Right, and I'm sure it's legally stuff for the most part uh, right. that that they're worried about. But it, I found it funny that there were some national guys that were doing it and certainly on the UCLA side, people were saying, Oh, what, what a bad break for Mick Cronin and UCLA. And I get it. Like they would have got a good shot to beat a bad UK team as opposed to playing an Ohio state team. That's more solid. I mean, knows who they are and are, and are going to be a, a, a tougher game to win probably. But on the flip side, do you not think John Calipari is looking at this? Like, Oh yeah, I'd much rather play Roy Williams than Mitt Cronin. Are you crazy? Well, like just, if you're just struggling, those teams. 
if you're struggling and you're and you're John Calipari, you think you want to go play Roy Williams in North Carolina as opposed to Mick Cronin and UCLA? Like, I found it funny that people thought Mick Cronin and UCLA were the ones getting screwed in that situation and not John Calipari and, yeah, and no, UK. Yeah, yeah, Kentucky got the far tougher matchup for sure. <laughs> yeah, w- without a doubt. So, uh, well, actually, I should have said no question there. No question. All right, skinny. That's what I'm supposed to say. <laughs> Let's switch gears one more time here. When the Bengals placed defensive tackle Geno Atkins on injury reserve on Wednesday morning, it marked the latest in a string of bad luck and bad contracts that haven't returned much for their 2020 investment. You wrote about this on local12.com. A lot of players who just didn't pay dividends this season, either because of injury or lack of production. Give me your overall point there with that exercise, and what'd you find out while going through the numbers? I mean, it's just some of it is bad luck, um, but but some of it is is contract related. Um, I listed a bunch of guys who I consider bad contracts. AJ Green is a terrible contract. Eighteen point two million dollars for forty one catches, four hundred nineteen yards. You know who could have given you forty one catches and four hundred nineteen yards if they'd have played that many snaps this year? Auden Tate. Well, Alex Erickson. Yeah, one of the two. <laughs> yeah, no, no, right, right. Um, Gino, fourteen point two million dollars for one tackle. One tackle. I mean, it just feels like yesterday, and it seemed like it was, that they extended Geno Atkins and Carlos Dunlap back in 2018. And Carlos is on the list for his $6.1 million they had to pay before he pouted his way out of town. Um, you know, DJ Reader was a bad break, 10 mil. Trey Waynes was a bad break, 10 mil. Uh, Bobby Hart, the human turnstile, is a terrible contract, six, 6.9 mil. And then CJ Uzama, who would, I didn't realize they, they paid this. $5.9 million for CJ Uzama, whose career best in catches going into this year was 41. I'm not paying that guy that kind of money. And it, it does suck that he got hurt and he was off to a decent start. And again, some of this is bad luck, but why are you paying CJ Uzama $5.9 million when you drafted Drew Sample? You drafted Mason Shrek. You can, in this offense, the tight end isn't even a big part of it. So why are you paying that guy? John Ross, 5.4 mil. Good evaluation process there, Duke Tobin. Then who decides? I mean, Sean Williams, 4.9 mil towards the salary cap this year. To do what? Take a take a fake punt as an up back and run around right in twice? I mean, um, Giovanni Bernard was a terrible contract. And they, the only reason they signed him to it was they wanted an insurance policy for Joe Mixon. He's making 4.8 mil to average 3.3 yards a carry average. And he started the last seven games, Rick. He's averaging nine touches and 41 yards per scrimmage. Well, that's a good return on investment. But they're not Joe even Mick- really using him. Correct. Joe Mixon, 4.3 mil. Again, bad luck. Jonah Williams, 4 mil. Again, bad luck. Billy Price, still paying him 3 mil to start one game. Strangely enough, they won that game, but he hasn't played a snap on offense since. You tell me why not. And then these guys don't, these guys, and they, they needed to be gone. And, and the salary cap hit is, is cheaper than if they'd have been on the roster. But Drake Kirkpatrick is still counting 2.8 mil towards the cap. And guess what? He's having a hell of a year for Arizona. Three interceptions. He started nine of the 12 games. Um, last I checked, I think Arizona's going to the playoffs. Where are the Bengals going? John Miller. John Miller counts 2.6 towards the salary cap. Was Xavier Suofilo really an upgrade at right guard over John Miller? So, I mean, yeah, some of this is bad luck. Trey Waynes, DJ Reader. But some of it is you just buried yourself with just idiotic contracts. Can we go back to Geno Atkins for a second here? Sure. Why? What What happened? So he just went on injured reserve with a torn rotator cuff. Is that right? I don't know if it's a rotator cuff or not. It's, but a it's, shoulder, it's, it's shoulder, shoulder injury. Um, a tor- something that he's going to need so, surgery. So, so let's go through this process. So he, he allegedly got hurt. And I guess if he's having surgery, he did. But I want to get to that part of the program. So he, he gets hurt 
in a, in a, in a training camp practice or scrimmage that we were not allowed to see. We saw the, the start of it. It was at the time where training camp technically is over. So they, they can do their, their regular season uh, media guidelines, which is 30 minutes to, to see it. And then you're out. Um, they usually don't do much in those 30 minutes, you know, warm up, maybe take a few install snaps, et cetera. So he apparently got hurt there. Didn't play the first four games, came back, played, played basically in a, in a nickel pass rush role ever since that point in time, they kept talking about, you know, he's, he's working his way back from the shoulder, but then they wait until now. At, at what point, if that shoulder was bothering him two games into playing, do you not just shut him down and go, Gino, go have the surgery now, man, as opposed to trying to fight through this. Cause here's what might happen, Rick. They can get out from underneath Gino's contract after this year for a $5.2 million salary cap hit, which is a lot, but it's not as much as the fact that they would owe him 25 million base salary the next two years if they kept them around. So I don't see any reason they keep him around. Except now with the shoulder surgery, who knows how long the rehab takes? He still may have to either get an injury settlement to be waived or they have to keep him around next year and count him count the full salary towards the cap. Is, I mean, what are we doing? Is it possible that's the that was the long con here by Gino slash his agent? I I honestly I'm gonna say yes because yes. I, nothing about he, what happened he, this season makes he sense. He pulled me. it off, in my opinion. Well, like, cause let's look at it. if you're Gino Atkins and you're going out. He signed a waiver to be allowed to play after he was diagnosed with whatever this injury was to his shoulder. Mm-hmm. He went out there, was completely ineffective, and looked like he didn't One want to be there. tackle in 119 snaps. One freaking tackle. And so, I mean, if you're the Bengals, I don't understand. And they certainly limited his snaps at a certain point. But I don't know why you didn't just shut him down on your own if you're the yes. Bengals. Because he wasn't giving you anything. If you knew he was injured, why wouldn't you just say, this isn't working, let's get it fixed. And if you're Geno... Why are you going out there putting yourself at risk? Like now, now the story is is trying to be put out there that like, oh, look how he went out there and fought for the team while he was injured. I'm not impressed by that. I don't think that was a good idea. He gave them nothing. If he would have been gave them nothing, if he would have been producing, great. But he was doing nothing. He should have been getting a surgery and, and rehabbing towards next year if he's still allegedly a, a productive player in the NFL, which I certainly have my doubts about. The other issue I have with Gino, and it's something that has gone on with this Bengals team a little bit here this year, is. I, I'm not huge on reading into guys' body language and who they are as people because we don't know all that viewing from far away, right? However, I'm sick of everyone defending guys who look like they don't want to be at their job. Like you can you can say, well, that's who he is. He's a quiet guy and he's never really talked to me. Okay, that's fine. But when you don't produce at all and you look unhappy and you won't speak to anyone, you won't say anything. You know what that looks like? It looks like you're an asshole who doesn't want to be at your job and you're a bad locker room guy. And it, that may not be the case, but I don't think it's unreasonable to ask you to be an engaged member of the team, a guy who will get up off the bench occasionally and cheer guys on, a guy that when there's fighting going on in the field isn't sitting down on the bench, not paying attention to, to what's happening, a guy who uh, will talk to the media and fulfill his obligations there. Like, if you go into your workplace every day and you don't talk to every, anyone and you have bad body language and you just sit there dejected, guess what? People are going to think you're an asshole who doesn't like your job. And yeah, doesn't now, there. now I will say t- teammate teammates, especially in his position group, say good things about Gino. Of course that, they that do. Just, I know, but, and but that's fine. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm I want to be fair. I, I'm I wanna friends be, with I people be at work too, though. right? Like I'm going to, I'm going to say nice things about them to you guys. And they all view the media as the enemy for the most part. So, so I like, I get it, but I'm tired of hearing the stuff like about like, AJ Green and Geno Atkins 
because they're veterans and because they have tra- all this stuff that they're just allowed to act like they don't want to be there this year. That's well, not- dude, I, I, I said that about AJ Green last year and people screamed in my face that I was an idiot. And that's fine. I guess you can think I, I, I am an idiot in a lot of ways. I mean, he played them like a fiddle. He played them like an absolute fiddle and still parlayed it in $18 million of unproductivity th- this season. Well, and I'm, I'm, thinking that's exactly what Geno Atkins did. I'm looking at this. That's absolutely what he did. I think there's a good chance that he just secured a bag for next year too. And that was the plan. Played him like a fiddle. Played these fools like a fiddle. And that's what they are, fools. Any final thoughts here on the the piece that you wrote with the, you know, the all the money that went out the door this year for absolutely no wins? I just totaled it up. And again, you got to be fair. Some of it's bad luck. Some injuries in the league happen. It feels like they happen to the Bengals more than they happen to other teams. I just totaled the guys that I just read up. $100 $100 million towards the salary cap for the following guys this year. And then you tell me how productive they were. Some of it bad luck, mind you. $100 million towards this year's salary cap. Think how you could have spent that money more wisely. A.J. Green, Geno Atkins, D.J. Reader, Trey Waynes, Bobby Hart, Carlos Dunlap, C.J. Uzama, John Ross, Sean Williams, Giovanni Bernard, Joe Mixon, Jonah Williams, and two guys, no, or Billy Price, and two guys no longer here, Drake Kirkpatrick and John Miller. $100 million for what? I could have afforded like two and a half Aaron Donalds for that. And that would have won me more than two games. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Skinny, the new college football playoff rankings were released this week. Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson, and Ohio State took the top four spots. Cincinnati, who didn't play this week, dropped once again to number nine and is now trailing Iowa State, Georgia, and Florida who just blew a game to a bad LSU team thanks to a shoot toss. And all three of Iowa State, Georgia, and Florida also have two losses. What were your thoughts on the latest college football playoff rankings release? Good thing UC didn't play Tulsa and beat them by two touchdowns. They probably would have dropped to 11th because um, they wouldn't have credited them for a win uh, against an AAC opponent. I, I guess I should be over fussing about this anymore because it's it's it. nobody outside of, of Cincinnati probably cares. Um it, it, it just it, it may it, it's a complete it's, it's, a complete it's drawn a farce. lot of national media hype yeah I, I guess so but but again what are we going to do about it that, i'm always a big solution what's the solution for this right yeah. what, what 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 changes about this nothing and that's the unfortunate part to this we i can scream about it i can tweet about it um i could write a nasty column about it national guys i i know i listened to to, to our friend mo eggers show yesterday he had jason fitz from espn on um who is is very vocal about you know, the, the lack of transparency, A, from the playoff committee and, and B, the way that, that they keep shuffling things around. You know, Florida goes down one spot for losing to a god-awful LSU team. Iowa State's up to six and lost to Louisiana by 17 points on its home field. What, I mean, what are we doing here? And here's what here's what's going to happen. Because I, 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 I've heard this cry from UC fans. I heard some callers yesterday that, that, that tried to make this point of, well, UC needs to go out and schedule tougher moving forward. If I'm a, if I'm a power five school, I'm doing the exact opposite to group of fives. I'm exactly. shutting you out completely to hell with you. And now UC's got a great chance next year. Cause they do play at Notre Dame and they do play at Indiana. Um, so that gives you a couple of, of non-conference swings at it. Um, but I think after this moving forward, if I'm the power five leagues, uh-uh, you guys go pound sand. UC just screwed themselves with this season. I mean, right. winning at this level, no one's going to want to schedule them. That's a, a power five conference. So, no, you're exactly right. And I, I did see an interesting tweet by Joel Klatt that I wanted to get your thoughts on where he had said everyone is, is clamoring for an eight team playoff. 
And he brought up the point that it's not going to make the difference. That will just give them all the more reason to put these two loss SEC teams in over Cincinnati. Look at what they just did with the the rankings released this week. They put Cincinnati at number nine, which would put them directly out of a top eight playoff. And you know what? And And I know someone would lose ahead of them possibly next week. Yes. But but you know what's funny about that, though, Rick? I believe that's why they did it. I I believe that's why, because I think there's been a clamor from a lot of different places in this country for an 18 playoff. And so this one was almost shut up. They're number nine now. That's what it feels like. Honest to God, there's that's the only explanation for it. Because we talked about last week, if you were trying to find a reason to drop UC from seventh to eighth for Iowa State, there was no logical explanation for it. You couldn't really make that logical connection there to be like, yeah, that, okay. That makes sense based on what we've seen out of the two teams playing football this year. It's, this is strictly a, you are trying to discourage non-power five schools to say you have no chance at this thing. And then this week, that's exactly what this was. This was even more ridiculous, more absurd to drop them again for another two loss team. And you're right. I think it is, it is only to make the point of you're not even a top eight. It doesn't matter if we go to a playoff. You have no shot. You're out of this thing. Quit bothering us about it. Let us who, do what who, we want to do. Who's looming behind Cincinnati? That would be Oklahoma. So Oklahoma, what, plays Iowa State in the, in the conference championship game? Yep, and whoever wins that is ahead of Cincinnati. Correct. I mean, and so even if Florida, in, which will lose to Alabama, drops out, that still is going to leave Georgia ahead of them, the Iowa State-Oklahoma winner ahead of them, and they're still going to come in at number nine. And that's, I think, the exact reason they did this. It was literally to say... Oh, you bitching about eight teams? They weren't getting in anyway. <laughs> See what we just did? I, I that's think where, and that's where the, that's why I said there's more ammo now for power fives to go. Well, if I'm Kentucky, Kentucky has their formula for scheduling, right? And they're not in that group of making a playoff, but their formula of scheduling is they schedule two max, um, a, a god awful FBS team usually, and then uh, the the traditional uh, rivalry game with Louisville. I, I think that's what you're going to see more and more of for for these these programs Alabama yeah maybe they'll play they'll play a power five out of league um Auburn will play maybe another power five out of league and then play the Citadel and play a couple of other bye games and then and then your tough conference schedule I think that's the formula moving forward UC's not going to get this swing in, in the future in my opinion at Notre Dame or Indiana which they have a home at home with Georgia which is on the schedule at uh, at some point in in the near future you know I I know our friend Mo talked about dropping Miami and, and giving yourself more chances you're not going to get those chances. I'm sorry. You're just not. And I don't know what the solution then is moving forward. I really don't. I, I, I hate to say it. I don't think you have any chance if you're not a power five school to ever get in the top four ever. Yeah. I don't even know. Like, I don't even think you can go to the bottoms of power conferences or anything because those schools aren't going to want to collect losses from a non that's right. Non power five school. That's right. Um, if they're trying to rebuild their program and, and not to mention, I don't know that those conferences are going to let those teams play those types of games for the most part. I think they would, they would discourage it because they do not want to give teams like you see that opportunity. I, I'm, I'm completely with you on that. I do not think they'll be able to schedule themselves into a situation where they'd have a swing at it. Even if they drop Miami or whoever else, I just don't think they'll be able to replace those games with meaningful enough wins that it would matter to the the selection committee. So I don't know what the answer here is. I, and I, and I, I thought the, the, 18 playoff was a better solution. I still think it makes more sense. If nothing else, it just gives us more to talk about with college football and, and more storylines throughout the year. So I still think it's, it's better than just the four teams, but I don't know that it's a solution for a Cincinnati, a UCF a few years ago, uh, a BYU, a coastal Carolina. 
I don't know that those schools really have a legitimate shot in this thing. And, and that sucks. I mean, and look, they, they may not be good enough. Maybe they really can't compete with these other teams. And that, that very well may be the case, but we've already seen Oklahoma fail plenty of times. Like why can't we watch them get their shot and, right. and fail? That's the thing. Let, let them get their shot and fail. Cause the other, there's been a lot of those semifinal matchups would have just been blowout city. So it's, it's just like getting suddenly, boring. It's not like, it's not like every year I can tell you that all four, you know, both of the semifinal games and the championship game were great games. Yes. We've had some, but not every one of them. Some of them have been absolute utter mismatch. Blow. I mean, that LSU Oklahoma game last year was a clown show. It feels clown like show. every year there's two or three teams that are elite, like two or three yes. that are really good. And then there's either two blowouts in the, the semifinals or there's one blowout in the semifinals, but it's the, again, it's the same three to five teams every year that are good. So it's, it's just, yeah, it's, it's such a frustrating sport because the product during the regular season is so damn good. And it's so much fun to bet on every Saturday and all of that. But then you get down to this time of year and we're just banging our heads against the wall every single year, the same arguments, the same conversations. And it's, it's really been this way, even dating back to the BCS game, uh, BCS days, we've just slightly changed the issues. All right, let's switch gears here and move on to our betting segment, where, as we mentioned at the top of the show, things have gotten a little bit more interesting. I went seven and one last week. You went three and five. I am now 76, 78, and three overall, almost back to 500. You are 79, 75, and 73 overall. So a few games over 500 still, uh, but, you know, I'm just three games back. So I've got a chance here that we have a shorter, shorter slate this week. So I'm going to have to make up some ground in a hurry. Uh, it starts on Thursday night, 8.20 p.m. We've got Chargers at Raiders. The Raiders are a three-point favorite, and the total is 53 in the hook. Raiders are missing four starters on defense. They just fired the defensive coordinator, Paul Gunther. Um, you know, and, and look, he can be blamed for that, but firing a defensive coordinator with a short week coming up doesn't sound like a great recipe for me. I think after tonight, you're going to have to start pointing a big finger at John Gruden. I think John Gruden's move was more to try to cover his ass in the short term, and it could really backfire on him. So I'm, I'm going to take the Chargers outright in this one. I'll go Chargers, Chargers 34, Raiders 27. So the Chargers and the over for me. <laughs> I've got the exact opposite of score on this game. I've got Raiders 34, Chargers 27, and, and everything you said is valid. I agree with that. The one thing I feel very good about is the over. In this game, totals gone no, over yes, four yes. of the last five Chargers road games, 10 of the last 13 Raiders games, period. Uh, the, I mean, the Chargers give up basically 27 at least every single week. They, their defense is very consistently bad in that regard. So I do think that this will definitely be a high scoring game. You mentioned the, the Raiders defensive issues, obviously, but I'm I think they rally and find a way to win this one. So I'm going to go with the opposite score of you. So I've got Raiders and over you have. Chargers and over. Both of us agree the over is the right play on that one. So that brings us to Saturday at noon. We've got Northwestern at Ohio State. The Buckeyes are a 19-point favorite. The total is 57, and, and uh, this is the uh, Big Ten championship game. Yeah, I think this opened at 21 and a hook, and I really love Northwestern at that number. The 19 makes it a little iffy for me. Agreed. Um, I like the Northwestern defense a lot, but the one game they lost, Michigan State put some points up on them. And my fear here is Ohio State, even though Northwestern's defense is good, that's still an elite offense. Northwestern offensively just is very pedestrian. Peyton Ramsey's done a great job. It's always cool to see Northwestern in, in, in having success. I love Pat Fitzgerald as a coach. I think he does a great, great job. Uh, he's done it consistently well for a long time at a tough place. 
Um, so this is almost a pat on the head. Hey, it's nice that you got there moment, but I think it's all Ohio State. I'll go Buckeyes. Buckeyes 40 to, to 17. Yeah, we're very close on that. So that would put you at 57 on the dot. So you've got to push on the total. Are you good with that? Nah, nah, let's go. Let's go 40 to 18. Northwestern goes for a meaningless two and gets it. Other than to put it over the total. So you have OSU and the over, but not exactly a confident over there. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've got OSU 45, Northwestern 21. So I'm OSU and the over. The one thing that I just can't get out of my mind is Northwestern giving up 29 points to Michigan State. Right. I, I, right. If you do that, OSU in this situation, they're just going to pile it on. I mean, I could see Ohio State scoring 50 plus in this game. So I really like the over here, actually. And um, Ohio State's defense is, has shown that they'll give up some points, especially after they've got a lead. So, yeah, I think the over is really the play I like in this one as well. Uh, Saturday at 8 p.m., we've got Tulsa. At Cincinnati, the Bearcats are a 14-point favorite in the AAC championship. The total is 46 for this one. The only thing I fear for UC is not having played in a while, but I, I think that there's plenty of ammo for Luke Fickle. It, you know, it, whatever nicks and bumps they might have had also been probably healed up in those three weeks. That's the positive. And they're just a clearly better team than Tulsa. Tulsa's lived on the edge all year. They've had some extraordinary comebacks against some, at times, not great teams. I, I think this is all UC in this one, too. I'm going to go Bearcats. I'll go Bearcats 30, 37, Tulsa 10. I think Tulsa will have a hard time scoring. UC's defense will uh, will stop Tulsa from doing much of anything. So that is going to be uh, UC and the over for you by yes. one point at yes. 47. I like UC to win this one as well, and I think the biggest thing is just that Tulsa is not going to be able to score on them. Um, I gave them the benefit of the doubt and said Tulsa will get the second touchdown that most teams have struggled to score against the Cincinnati defense, but I think it's it's a pretty easy win for the Bearcats. I'm going to say they cover the 14. It's UC 31, Tulsa 14, so I'm UC and the under there just slightly. So Let's go to our Sunday night game in the NFL. And uh, we're not skipping the Bengals. They are actually the primetime Monday night game. So we'll get to them in a second. But Sunday night, 8.20 p.m., Browns at Giants. The Browns are a five-point favorite. The total is 44. Where do you go on that one? How, how interesting is this? The Giants, believe it or not, their, their offensive coordinator, Jason Garrett, tested positive for COVID-19. So former Browns coach Freddie Kitchens, it sounds like, will be calling the plays <laughs> for, for the Giants in this game. Um I'm well, take, well, let I'm, me change my pick. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm going to take the Browns in a, in a tight one here. I, I think that that, uh, that that Monday night game um, was just exhausting. And then to go on the road on top of it, and th- it's still the Browns, man, right or wrong. I don't know why, you, you know, it just feels that they could play their way out of a playoff berth when they're basically almost automatically in at this point. Um, Giants fighting to still win the East, uh, the NFC East. I, I'm going to take the Giants in, in this one. Uh, I was I said Browns initially. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take the Giants in a close one. I'll go Giants, Giants 23, Browns 20. So the Giants outright and it stays what I got 43 and a half yeah. is the total. Just yeah, stays uh, for, 44, 44 is the total. Okay. So you're yep. just under. Yep. Uh, so Giants and under for you. Giants 23, Browns 20. I see your point about the Browns still being the Browns, and that's exactly how I feel about them when they play a team like the Ravens last week. That was my logic for picking the Ravens, is just that. The Browns will be the Browns eventually. And that it was a great game, uh, totally entertaining. At the end of the day, the Browns were kind of the Browns in the end there. I I think they're much better than the Giants, though. And and the Freddie Kitchens thing gives me all the ammo I need to to push me over the top. 
I'm going to go Browns 34, Giants 24. I love the over in this game. Over is hitting four of the last five Browns road games, and their defense just stinks. So they're going to give up points to the Giants. I mean, that, that'll happen. So, uh, I yeah, again, the over is the play for me here, but I will pick the Browns to cover. And that brings us to our final game of the week, Monday, 8.15 p.m. in primetime, under the lights, Steelers in Cincinnati, taking on your Bengals, led by Zach Taylor possibly in his final weeks as Bengals head coach. Steelers are 12 and a half point favorites. The total is 40 in the hook. Start with the premise of the Bengals not scoring double digits. We got to start with that premise. Um, If you're not betting the under in every Bengals game, you're an idiot. I mean, they're just so bad offensively. The second half since the bye, uh, they've scored all of 10 points. Um, I can't believe these numbers are still over 40 for them every week. Well, I think the fear is the Bengals don't sustain drives, so hence you're giving the other team a lot of opportunities. And and I guess in theory, could the Bengals luck into a backdoor touchdown? Maybe, but I don't see it. I'll, I'll go Steelers. And I think the Steelers sleepwalk through this game themselves. I think they're. I, I said this what a couple of weeks ago, Rick. They they felt like they were on fumes, and and it's kind of felt that way the last couple of weeks for them uh, against Washington. Then the turnaround with Buffalo, and Buffalo is a really good team, but. Um, the Steelers really got punched around in that game, but I, you know, they're still clearly so much better than the Bengals that, that they can still sleepwalk their way to an easy win. I'll go Steelers 27 Bengals seven. Um, so they sleepwalk their way to an easy cover and it stays way under. <laughs> That's hilarious. I Steelers 27 Bengals six. Uh, so ah! we're, we're dead on there and it locks Austin, up and, Austin Seibert misses his extra point attempt. And, and the funny thing is right underneath my score, all I wrote down is Steelers will treat this like a bye week but it doesn't matter. I mean, that, that's basically what you just said. I mean, I think the Steelers are banged up. I think they need kind of a, a week to regroup, but they also know they need this win. So they'll roll over the Bengals easily enough and, and put it in cruise control. I, I really like the under in this game and, and look, I mean, 40 and a half, Anything can happen in an NFL game that sends it over 40 and a half, obviously. Sure. But if you're betting this Bengals team right now, I don't see how you take a total over 40. I just, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. You know, it, it feels like Steelers get off to a 17 nothing lead and they just say, Ben, yeah, hand it exactly. off, hand it off. We'll, we'll punt because they're not going to score on us and you'll, you'll see the clock just melt away. And it'll, it'll be honestly, if, you, if you're a national audience other than you have a betting interest, it'll be an absolute snooze fest. Yeah, an hour and 45 minutes. They'll be like, add an extra commercial breaks in there to elongate it. Or exactly. Something. Exactly. <laughs> All right, Skinny, what do you have in terms of our off the board bet that you like this week? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to put the Giants in it with a three-team teaser. I'm going to take them up to 10.5. I'm going to take the Cardinals down to a pick them at home against the Eagles. And I'm going to take – it's a tough one for me on the other one of this because I've, I've looked at like three different games. I guess I'm going to take the Falcons up to 12 at home against Tampa. Um, I, I just just feels like Atlanta plays so many close games. They may not win it, but getting 12 at home I, I think feels pretty safe. So that's my three-team of the week. Atlanta up to 12. Cardinals down to a pick them and the Giants up to 10 and a half. All right. There you go. If you want to make it a four teamer, take the Steelers down to six and a half on, on top of it all. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. And, could, then you I, will have a rooting interest on Monday night. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would feel very good about the Steelers at six and a half. I know that much. I'm not even going to do the teaser this week. And the reason being is just because there's not enough uh, games on the board that I really like. But I do like the Homer play here in the college games, the championship games. I like Ohio State and Cincinnati both to cover straight up. I feel really good about both of those. I think you just do a two-team parlay here. It puts you at plus 257. $50 will pay you out 178.60. It's pretty good. I think I just go with that. OSU and Cincinnati, straight up parlay, no teaser. And, and hey, if you feel really good about these teams, which I've considered this too, 
OSU minus 25, UC minus 20 on the reverse teaser pays out plus 629. So your $50 bet would get you 364.50 back. That's something to consider too if you really like both teams. I like that. That's good. All right, there you go. So that wraps up our betting segment where if if you really struggle and give me some help and I catch fire for the third straight week, maybe I can I can catch back up to you. So let's move on to our favorite segment of the podcast. It's time for Ask Any Anything, where you guys send us your questions. And I pose them to one Richard Skinner, and he answers them without question. So first of all, if you're making the bet today, where are you putting your money for Super Bowl champs? Which team feels like the best value? Best value. I mean, I feel really good with Kansas City. I don't know what kind of value you're getting. I imagine they're. I haven't looked at the odds lately. I can imagine they're probably close to even money, right? Yeah. I'll tell you a, a, a value play I kind of like. I'm, I'm really starting to like this Buffalo Bills team more and more and more. The problem is you got to get through Pittsburgh and Kansas City or both, and I think that's just a big, big ask. I think if you're looking for value, you probably have to go to the, to the NFC, and I guess if I'm looking for value there, the, the Rams are trending in the right direction, in my opinion, there. Again, from a value perspective, I don't think they're the best team in the NFC, but they're darn close, and it's a pretty wide-open NFC. So you get pretty good value if you're taking anyone other than the Chiefs this year. Chiefs are plus 180 right now, and these are the odds you can get at Hollywood Casino over in Lawrenceburg. It's the sports book I use because it's what's Green I- Bay at now. Uh, Green Bay is down uh, to 650 plus 650. So I think that's decent. That's not value. awful value. Yeah, it's yeah. not awful value because I would feel good. But I, your Rams pick is one I really like too, plus 1100. Bills are plus 1200. Yeah, I think I'm going to take it. If, I, I think for me, if I was going to do it, I think I'd make I'd make four plays if I had a hundred dollars. I'd probably put fifty on Kansas City because I feel good about them, and I'd spread my other fifty around. Uh, put twenty on the Rams, and then put um, put put fifteen a piece on Green Bay and um, who's the other team that I said Buffalo the Bills. Yeah, I, I just don't. I mean, I think the Chiefs are the best team, but at plus one eighty. I mean, heck, I think I'm just waiting until they make it to the Super Bowl and then putting more money on them to win the Super Bowl outright against whoever they're playing against at those odds. Like, I mean, you're just not getting enough of return here no, to tie up my money for, for the next t- two months. I like the Packers, the Rams, and the Bills. All, all, all of those teams, the next ones in line, you get decent odds on. Bills at plus 1,200, Rams at plus 1,100, and Packers at plus 650. So I think those are the three. If I if I had $100, I'd just spread it $33 on each of those. And There and you roll. go, yeah. Yeah, there you go. What is your favorite golf course to play in the area, Skinny? Mm, man, I, I, there's a lot of them I like. Um, trying to think, where, where do I where do I play a lot? I love Lassing Point. Um, that's in Northern Kentucky. Uh, Stone Lake is is tremendous. It's a haul to get to it, but it's just beautiful. It's a little on the expensive side, but um, I, I do like Stone Lake a lot. Um, trying to think of all the different places we play we play i mean we play so many different courses around the area on, on a on a fairly regular basis i'll, I'll go with those two i mean still look like i said it, it is a hole but i i really do in, enjoy the course um i i believe it or not there's there's a there's a course over in indiana i like grand oak um it's 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 a little off the beaten path as well but i just i i, I like the layout I, I like the fact it makes you use every club in the bag there's some really difficult holes there's a couple of easy holes um, it, you know, there's some tight holes or some open holes. Um, so yeah, I, I like that one too, but yeah, Stone Lick is just immaculate. It's, it's gorgeous. It's, it's, but again, it's a little expensive and it's a lot off the beaten path. I'm a big Lincoln Ridge disc golf course guy over in independence. <laughs> if you're wondering How about Newman, 
<laughs> Skitty, who are your favorite national play-by-play and color broadcasters, and who are the ones you loathe? Al Michaels is just surprised. I, I, I can't say one bad word about Al Michaels as a play-by-play guy. Maybe you can. I, I don't know how anybody can. He's prepared. He's got a sense of humor. Um, got a great voice. Uh, he feels ageless to me. Um, so yeah, he, he's up there. I always love Vern Lundquist. I thought he was always really, really good. I think Brad Nessler's pretty good too, but Vern Lundquist to me is, 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 is superb. Who do I loathe? <laughs> I lo- I'm trying to think. Tell you what, that ESPN two broadcast last night for the UC game was rough. Oh, it was brutal. It was brutal. Yes, it was. That was brutal. Um, but yeah, if we're talking national broadcasters, I'm trying to think who I would loathe, who, who would make me, uh, you know, I know people, I know he's not a play by play guy, but Bill Walton, I just, it, it's just too much nonsense. I don't mind. It doesn't have to be all about basketball, but it's just, it's more his rambling when he's 18 sheets to the wind high than it is anything else. And I just can't listen to it. Um, and I'm one that likes Dick Vitale. I know he gets over the top. I, I wouldn't put him in one of the ones I, I definitively would love to hear, but I think Dick gets a bad rap. I mean, Dick did has done a lot for college basketball, right? Whether people like to say it or not, he's done a whole lot uh, for the brand of college basketball. Um, I'm trying to think loathe. I've always been on the Dickie V side. Like I've always said that it, he he may not be the best at it, but even at this point, still, it feels like a big game when he's calling your team's game. Like to me, that w- always made it fun. But the last maybe like two or three years. I don't know if maybe I've just got too cynical or he's continued to go downhill. He's finally gotten to the point where I, I really can't listen to him. He drives me nuts when he does the games now. And I think it's because he has gotten kind of more wrapped up in this like social media world where he yep. feels like he needs to give his takes on other yep. things more often. And it's like, no, if if you're Dickie V there, I just need Dickie V basketball guy. Like do all your stupid catchphrases, be silly and goofy and talk about how much you love the sport and be enthusiastic. But I do not need your takes on anything else at all. Yeah. I mean, basketball, I, I love Bill Raftery. I, I do. I learned something from Bill Raftery. He's a like Dick. He's a former coach, but Bill can, Bill can give you little nuggets without talking down to you as an audience, in my opinion. Again, I think he's got a great sense of humor, always well-prepared. Um, I, I did. I really do do like him. Yeah. I, don't, I can't say there's a lot of guys I loathe that, that like, I will say, and he wasn't national, but when George Grant did Reds baseball, I couldn't do it. It, it just was too syrupy for me, and I just, I, ugh, I, I couldn't listen to it. What do you think about Dan Dockage as a color guy? I like Dan Dockage too because I think he also, I think he's, he certainly has great knowledge of the game. Um, I think that comes across. I know he's 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 so strongly opinionated, and while we say we hate people who are that opinionated, it seems like he moves the needle on a lot of people, man. And so that sounds like to me, while you may hate him, you're listening to him and you're reacting to him. And I think that's what he probably thrives on. Um, I, I think Dan knows the game. I, 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 I can honestly, when he does a game, I can't tell you that I hate listening to it. I would agree with that. He annoys me to, to no end, especially more so with like his Twitter personality and his, his on-air personality as a radio guy. Like I can't listen to his radio show as a color guy. I do find that he knows the game well enough and typically he sticks to the game enough that I don't hate him. Usually now the problem is, you know, he'll do things like say, I'm going to give a two hour commercial for why Indiana's getting screwed in college football during the UC game tomorrow night when I broadcast it, like he said a week or two ago, like when he does stuff like that, it's like, you're an idiot. Like, why, right, right. why are you the way you are? But yeah, I don't, I don't think he's the worst. Uh, one 
play-by-play guy that you didn't mention um, that I do love, especially if we're going like true broadcaster voice guys that make you feel like you're in a you're in a big game. Kevin Harlan for me still does it. I, yeah, I he, he and Gus Johnson. I think there's a there's there's a little there's a little I don't say goofiness there, but you're right. I I yeah, will say stick when, when, or whatever. Yeah, but. but Kevin Harlan's got just he's got one of those voices that somehow God just gifted to that man, and he's to his credit he's taken it and run with it. Well, and he he seems like he is so self aware of it all and doesn't oh, take yeah. himself seriously. Like when there's like been the squirrels running across the field or whatever, and he'll announce, yes, announce yeah, the squirrel. Right. Like when he does stuff like that, announcing a streaker or a squirrel or a mishap at a game that's when like he wins me over big time is it's like this guy has a great sense of humor and is totally in on it and realize he's like kind of got a shtick going here you know gus is a uh, gus really thinks he's cool and i think gus is cool but it's kind of funny that he is when he gets on the mic he's kind of got this whole shtick going um but i still enjoy listening to it i do yeah. i do like him and, yeah, and raftery to me is probably the best color guy i think he's because he combines the unbelievable knowledge of the game and, and communicates it well, like you mentioned, but he keeps it really light and it's funny. And it's, it's kind of like, I always say I'd rather listen to a podcast during a game, like guys who are, are having a conversation than doing the whole broadcaster voice the whole time and really not adding much interesting to a game. So yeah, and that's, that's where Walton goes the exact opposite though. He goes, he too, goes too far. Crazy town. Yeah. yeah. And I like Walton more than some. There's cer- certain games where I like to tune into Walton and not even watch the game and just listen to him ramble. And, and I can, I can get a hold of it, but I get why people don't like it. And when it's like a big game, I don't want Walton calling it. I want Walton to be calling like my Washington, Oregon game on Wednesday night at 11 p.m. Then I don't care about <laughs> on it. On Pac-12 network. Yes. Buried, yeah. Buried. Yeah. Buried somewhere late. You're right. Yeah. Cause I'm not really watching that game anyway. <laughs> All right. What is the single worst interaction you've ever had with a local sports personality? You can either name the name or keep it anonymous if necessary. Well, I mean, my the one the, the Carl Pickens interaction still to this day. I mean, not not. I mean, not that it, I know it's an interview setting, but that that whole you got a minute and he starts counting down to me and it, it elevated into escalated into fufu. That, that that was pretty good. Oh, I didn't. I didn't even think of athlete for this question. I was thinking they meant like a media member. Oh, a media. Is, um, uh, but 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 you might be right. I mean, they said personality, so that could very well be players. Yeah, I, I just say I don't think I've had a a, a rough outing with any media personality. To be honest with you, I mean. They, <laughs> Well, radio partner Tom Gamble and I threw a headset at him one time, and he deserved it. <laughs> Why did you throw a headset at Gamble? Because he just was frustrating me, and 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 just was being an idiot in my opinion. And so during a break, it was me and him and Bob Trumpy doing the show, and I threw it, and it recoiled. The best part was he ducked, and it almost hit Trumpy. <laughs> were, were you throwing at him because of something you were arguing about on air? Yes. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. love how real your guys show. Oh, like, yeah. The fact that you guys got that worked up. About I literally, it. I peeled it off. I said, you're a freaking idiot. As we went to commercial <laughs> and I threw it at him and it recoiled. He ducked. And when it did, it came flying back and Trumpy somehow ducked out of the way at the last second or what he hit him. Then what, I would have felt bad. What Trumpy have to say about that? I, well, usually we were gang, we ganged up on him and he ganged up on it. He, he tried to take both of us on and that was probably not a good thing for him because then we would come both at him guns blazing. Um, it, it was it was an interesting dynamic. I will tell you that. I uh, do have a, a pretty great moment when I was probably 19 years old or something. I was covering high school football games while I was still in college for tri-state football and Dan Claskins. And I went over to a Colerain. I want to say it was Colerain Elder. Uh, but it was like one of those game of the week games where every single station was doing right, their right, right, right. blitz five game, you know, like everyone was there doing a setup and uh, whatever. So they, they all are doing live shots. The army's there. Inflatables are there. So there's some like lunch lady working the, the pass line. She doesn't know what's going on or whatever. She's just been given a job that says, here's a list of people. 
If they have a media pass and it says they're on this list, they're good to go. You let them in. Otherwise, do not let a single person in because this game's beyond capacity and whatever else. So I go up there. I have my uh, credential. I'm on the list. We've called ahead of time. It's all good. A certain media member in local television that we won't name names, but uh, he has red hair and a pretty ugly face. That, 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 this does not shock me. So go uh, ahead. Is not on the list. So he, he wants to be let inside and they tell him, and no, I'm sorry, you're not on the list. And he, he asked him to, you know, I don't, I don't care. I, I just need to get inside. I'm with, so I'm with, you know, my station, whatever. And she said, well, sir, do you have a media pass? And he looks at her dead seriously. And he does a circle in front of his face, like this is pointing to his face. It says, this is my media pass. <laughs> and then I'm like behind him. And I just kind of like show her my pass and walk in. And I lost it. I mean, I laughed for 15 straight minutes called everyone I could think of just like you won't believe what I just saw this guy do. So yeah, unbelievable moment in uh, media history. For me. Yeah. And, and I've heard that story and I, that's why I make sure whenever I go to a game like that, where it's just a kind of a pass, you know, a high school game or whatever. And I tell them who I am. And a lot of times I, I get the, I know who you are uh, look, but I always feel sheepish about that. I just want to go up and go, Hey, I'm, or just even go, I should or just start walking in. I always want to make sure, Hey, I'm such and such from such and such. And I do get a lot of, I know who you are. And that's, that's all. And I always just say, thank you. Um, but yeah, you never, that that's so over the top. It's insane to me. Sure. I covered high school games for a decade in Northern Kentucky, going to the same stadiums that usually had the same ticket takers for the all 10 years. Right. Right. And I would have never thought, even at the very end, and and granted, I'm not nearly at this guy's level. He is much more well-known. I completely understand that. But just the idea that you get to a spot mentally where you just feel like you're supposed to walk into places like that. I get it. You got a job to do. Someone didn't do their job and call ahead of time. It's frustrating for him in the moment, but it's still just. Oh, no. And and I've had that happen to me, too. And all I say is, hey, I got I I talked to such and such. I'll wait here until you get in. Usually they're. They're polite enough to go get talked. Yep, you're right. You should have been on there. I'm sorry. No problem. I get it. It, it is what it is. Exactly. It's just, I just can't fathom getting to a place where you get mad at the person who's who's got the pass list and you drop a, something like this yes. is my media pass. That's insane. It's crazy to me. All right. If Santa Claus could give Skinny an opportunity to attend one of these events, would he choose Camp Cal, Football 101 hosted by Jim Turner, or Vince Coleman's super spectacular fireworks display. Oh, uh, football one-on-one with Jim Turner. See, I'm a, I'm a male though. He 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 likes to say derogatory things to females in those or have derogatory slides. So I don't know if I'd apply. I want to go to Camp Cal because I just want to know: is it real? I really I want to know: is it real? Is there really a tweak and a twinge going on, or is this just him being able to to figure out a clever way to hit the reset button? Right. No, I, I mean, I think he's a master PR guy is, is what he is. And that's what the tweak and Camp Cal and all that. Right. Is about. That's, why I, but that's why I want to go. I want to see if it's real. I want you to have to go and like set up camp. Like I want you to have to go to Camp Cal, but you have a sleeping bag the night before waiting for him to get in and everything like that would be sick if you were just sleeping in the uh, what do they call it? The Joe B. Hall. No, it, yeah, the so uh, it's a, it's the something family center. And I, I'm drawing a complete yeah, blank. Whatever, the Joby Hall Wildcat Lodge, but yeah, the practice facilities. The it's some family, a different family that donated money. I'm drawing a complete blank. Yeah, but I yeah, would like I wouldn't mind that. Yeah, I'm good with that. Yeah, I'm good with that. UK and see if we can do that as like a promotion for the podcast. That's right, and, and that's my Christmas present. <laughs> That'd be great. All right, and and here we go. We'll uh, we, this is a two part question. 
from our guy, Dan, who, who submits some good ones from time to time for us. And this, you needed to watch the video of Rudy Giuliani. Did you happen to see that? One where his, his hair dye was, was leaking? No, the one where he passed gas during... Uh, no, hearing. I didn't see that one. I just saw the one where his hair dye was, uh, was... He was sweating with the hair dye coming down the side of his face. I did not see that one. Yeah, so Rudy Giuliani farted twice during a televised hearing. Uh, and just uh, pretty clear old man farts where they're squeaking out on him and he can't really do anything. But he got a little worked up, maybe moved in a seat too much and just lets a bang out. And it, it happened twice to him. So it's clear that he just had the wrong thing the night before or whatever to eat. But uh, the question is, what food beverage causes you the worst gas measured in both noise and smell? Um, there, there's no question. Any any hot sauce, and I'm a big hot sauce fan. Really? Um, yeah, I mean, if you get me... I, well, I will say this. Skyline Chili with their hot sauce, because their hot sauce is a different taste to it. Um, the ones that you make cracker bombs out of. Yep. You give me after a night of Skyline Chili, boy, with the hot sauce and the cracker bombs, that next morning, man, there is some noises involved and there is some pain involved and it might as well. You talk about cleaning your system out, brother. Wham! It's an automatic clean out for me. Wait, 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 wait. You're, you're, you're saying you eat Skyline Chili, but yet you're blaming it on the hot sauce. You don't think it might be the. I oh, no, know, I, think I, think, I, think, no I think it's the combination. Of okay. It. okay. But, but but you can also um, you can feel, you can feel the heat. OK. So. okay. Got a little burn going. <laughs> yep. Yep. There's no question. Yeah. Uh so I'm I you're gonna find this weird I'm not a big smell guy I don't know why just fart plenty not they don't smell they do but I I get great noise uh great acoustics out of my rear and I would say that wheat beer carbonated drinks in general like even yeah that's a good that's a good call yeah draft dra draft beer will do it to me in the next day too I, I it's funny because we haven't been in many bars here of late so i haven't had much draft beer to be honest with you but that'll do it too that's a good point yeah but wheat beers i find really really do it to me with like uh blue moons or like summer trips road trips that i like from braxton and i would Those say rick rick like but beer out of a can or beer out of a bottle really doesn't. It's the car. And I'm not a big soda pop drinker. I'm, a, you know, if I'm drinking something, it's water, lemonade or something along those lines. So I'm not a big soda pop drinker. Um, and if I'm just having beer at home out of a can or something or a mixed drink, that usually doesn't cause it. But yeah, draft beer, man. Oh, boy, that'll get you. Yep, that'll get you. Um, now, now, I will I will say this. My youngest daughter, and hopefully she's not going to listen to this part of the podcast, but I may make her. Um, <laughs> when, before she could drive, um, I would oftentimes take her to school at Beechwood. It's, you know, they don't bus and we live out in Boone County. And so she, she was a tuition student. So there'd be times we'd be driving and she was one, she was one, the opposite of you. She rarely made noise, but all of a sudden she was trying to hold back from laughing because she knew it was going to smell awful. And all of a sudden I'd smell it. And just, it would literally, be a, whoa, ah, and I'd, it could be a 25 degree day. All the windows in the car. That's how bad it would get. And she thought it was hysterical. See, I, hysterical. I, think, I said, you're I think quite the catch sister. I think that is the absolute worst. I think that is so rude. Like when you're in a bar and there's no sound or anything, all of a sudden you're just looking around like, what the hell was that? I, I do. I, I right. do not appreciate that. Like I want to announce because, my because presence. Everybody gets, not, blamed. everybody gets blamed. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, and it just sucks. It's like, why are you bombing everybody out here? And like, <laughs> if, if you're ripping and, and we know and we hear it, we're all going to laugh. We're going to boy about it. But like, the, I, I prefer my type. I like the noise and we can get a good laugh at it, but I'm not making everybody move their seats and no one's pointing around blaming each other. I, I do not like the SBD group. I think they are very rude with their, with their uh, farts. The second part of this question in honor of Rudy Giuliani, what is the most embarrassing situation in which you have broken wind and were you discovered? Is it better to take the L or try to dispute responsibility? Um, 
I, I don't think I, I guess on an airplane where, you know, you're hoping that, that it kind of the, the there, there was one. I can yeah, that's called I, terrorism. Yeah, I let one fly on an airplane once you couldn't hear it, but I was even embarrassed. And I'm kind of looking around going, man, just don't look in my direction. Now, the good part about an airplane is it does the, the, the cabin air does get filtered pretty deeply, but it felt like that lingered for a longer period of time than it should have. And I I just kept looking straight down at what I was reading and trying not to not to <laughs> be conspicuous in any way because I was embarrassed <laughs> for myself. I really was. I was completely embarrassed for myself. Yeah, I mean, if you're in a situation like the airplane, you don't own it, I don't think. No. That's not a situation where you own it. I'm a big believer in owning up to it and saying, yeah, that was on me. If if you're in a public setting for the most part, but the airplane is not one. I mean, you don't know any of those people. No one's really been talking ahead of time. I guess that's the key. Have you been talking to the people around you ahead of time? If so, if you've spoken to them already, then yeah, you want to own up to it and say, that was me. My bad. If not, then yeah, I think you just got to kind of act like you didn't know it happened and be like, exactly. Or you, or you start doing the, uh, the stink face. Like, yeah. Like, like it just wafted over to you. Like where'd that come from? Where did that? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, this was more, I didn't even want to get in that, that realm. I just wanted to, to, to shut it down and just hope it went away as quickly as possible. I can't think of a real embarrassing moment that I farted in, but my favorite used to be, uh, in grade school days, I went to a Catholic grade school and we would have something called liturgical music. Skinny, you know what that is? It's around Christmas time, isn't it? No, it is no. literally weekly practice for church songs. You go ah. to church for an hour and you sing church songs to practice. It's basically uh, teachers go to the lounge and take shots of vodka or something. I don't know. I mean, they, they just get an hour off and they give, it's a reason to give kids detention essentially. Cause what, what else are kids going to do in church for an hour other than screw off if they're Good there point. to practice church songs. Right. Point, so yeah. what we love to do is just, I mean, exactly that. I mean, cause cause issues. And one way you can do that when you've got teachers just walking up and down the rows and staring you down is to lift up a cheek from time to time. And on those wooden pews, you get you get the cheek at the right angle and let it smack against that wood. Oh my God! You could get the best, best acoustics. <laughs> and, and and of course, it brought complete laughter from everybody. Oh, Juvenile I, laughter, right? Have, I mean, because you've got the entire school in at the same time, so you've got like one teacher per two grade groups watching them. You know, so I mean, if you had the teacher turn her head, somebody lifts up his leg, rips one, and you've got. <laughs> two grade work, I mean, 200 kids almost dying of laughter. It is, it is just the problem. And, and uh, I will go back and I will go back to the plane. There is no question that, that it does cause gas issues for probably everybody because of the change in pressure. I really believe that. I um, think that's a you thing. I don't think. And, nah, nah, I, I've got a feeling there's a lot more people ripping them on airplanes than you'll ever imagine. I do not want to fly on a plane with you. I've <laughs> learned that. I, I, this seems like something that is an issue for you now. Uh, maybe you made it sound like an isolated incident. Now I think it's like a regular thing. Maybe. <laughs> that's all I got. All right, brother. Good stuff. I appreciate it as always. We will be back uh, next week, probably on Wednesday, obviously, because uh, kind of a short week with the Christmas holidays coming right after that. Uh, we will talk to you then. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Pope edition.